This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, November 17th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include The situation at Twitter seems to change day by day because it is. We have some thoughts on the evolving troubles at Twitter. Apple makes some changes to limit airdrop in China. Changes that might be a good idea for everyone. We'll explain why. And we'll spend a little time explaining the new continuity camera feature of macOS Ventura. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. I've been following this psychodrama with Elon Musk and Twitter over the past week. It's like every morning when I wake up, I make a cup of tea, I check my email, and I look at Twitter. And I'm looking at tweets from, you know, the time I went to the time I last checked my phone in the evening to the morning. So I see this progress, particularly because of the time zone difference with California. And I see this progress. Elon Musk came out with some new idea and something started changing, but then everyone complained and it was broken. And then it went back. And since we last spoke last week about verification, and I'm doing air quotes around verification, there have been an awful lot of back and forth and changes and U-turns at Twitter. Yeah. So this is not the Twitter show, so we're not going to go into great detail about this. But we did a really in-depth discussion of some of the potential problems with just allowing anybody to get Twitter blue and be quote-unquote verified, right? So that happened. Thankfully, they decided to wait. What you mean is that all the problems we predicted actually occurred. (laughs) Yep. And thankfully, they did have the foresight to at least wait until after the election to do that. But the day after, there was a lot of mess all over Twitter. There were tons of accounts that were troll accounts that were created specifically to impersonate companies and put out all these really funny, meme things. And some were not so funny. For example, I think you're thinking of the one about Eli Lilly. Yeah. Somebody created a, a fake account that had a legitimate looking name. It was something like Eli Lilly and Co. And they also had the verified badge and they tweeted, insulin is now free. And because Eli Lilly is a pharmaceutical company, their stock just crashed. So this was just one example of many where there were some pretty serious problems with this fake verification thing going on. Now, we don't talk about politics on this show, but the EY Lilly incident is a very interesting political operation that someone spent eight bucks to bring to the fore the fact that insulin is incredibly overpriced in the United States. We're not going to get into the whole income inequality, you know, post-capitalist robber barons and pharmaceutical companies, et cetera. The U.S. is the only country where it costs as much as this, but it did shine a light on this issue in a way that was unexpected. Now, you were saying before we started that, you know, they lost a lot of money, right? And this is what people are trying to be told that they lost money. They didn't lose money. They lost market capitalization value. And I looked up the market capitalization of Eli Lilly. And on the 31st of December, 2019, it was $125.85 billion. So this is pre-COVID. Now, I don't think Eli Lilly did any vaccines, but 
Today, their market capitalization is $337 billion, so nearly three times what it was less than three years ago. I put a link in the show notes. You can see the graph, how steady it was from 2001, and then it started increasing about 2017, and then it shot up. So I'm not shedding any tears for a company like that. What would be more worrisome was if actual money was lost in the sense of a pump and dump scam for stocks or cryptocurrency. By the way, was it $8 billion in cryptocurrency that was lost last week as well? Nothing to do with Twitter, but that's like real money. So here we had essentially a political operation that shone light on something and that affected the company, but it's not going to affect them in the long term. I think what we need to tell people right now is don't trust anyone with a blue check anymore because what Twitter did is they rolled it out for eight bucks a month, then they pulled it. Then they rolled out an official check mark, which was gray for big companies like Apple and Twitter. Then they pulled that. Then they reinstated the official tag, and then they pulled it again as of our recording on Wednesday evening. It's no longer there. It's so easy to impersonate someone because, as we saw, Eli Lilly and Co., the fake Lilly account, sounds more real than LillyPad. And it's easy to just put an avatar up there. So don't trust verified accounts. If you want to find out what a company's account is, go to their website and click their link to Twitter and see what their actual account is. Right. Again, these things are changing quickly, but if you had a verified account and then you also got Twitter blue, then when you click on the little blue, you know, uh, verified logo, it will tell you that the person is verified because they have Twitter blue, not because they were a notable account. So the blue overrode the verification that you had previously gotten from Twitter's. It was pretty easy to understand before, and we were discussing just before we started recording who's eligible for verification. I'm verified. I've only got about 3,600 followers, but I'm verified as a journalist because when I was writing for Macworld, all the Macworld journalists were verified. Entertainers are verified. Municipalities, cities, counties, governments, politicians, people like that, they're verified. Reporters from big news sources, New York Times, BBC, etc. But there's lots of other people who, for instance, a number of people that I used to work with at Macworld who are no longer with Macworld, several of whom work for a fruit company in California, are verified. But they are no longer reporters, journalists, that they were when they got the verification. All right. Well, let's move on from Twitter. Well, no, hold on. Hold on. The, you you hold keep on. killing my segue. Two more things about Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, there was a brief period where two-factor authentication wasn't working. So if you logged out and needed to log in, or if you needed to log into a new device, you couldn't do that. If you go to your settings security, I don't know the exact path, but if you go into your settings, you find a way to generate a login code. So what I did last week is I made, I reloaded the page to get about 10 codes just in case it breaks. Some people might really need Twitter to communicate, particularly via direct messaging. So if you can't log in, if something happens, use those codes. The second thing is Twitter is now working on end-to-end -end encryption for direct messages. I never really realized that it wasn't encrypted before. So I'm a little bit surprised. But then when you think about it, Facebook still hasn't rolled out end-to-end -end encryption. I, we, we tend to think of all messaging as secure, and as you've said a million times, SMS is not secure, but most direct messages aren't secure either. 
Well, actually, that's a really important point. And this has always been the case really with just about any social network. You should not assume that direct messages are into an encrypted and that nobody else, including employees of the company, that can see those messages. Very often, employees of the company can, at least in limited circumstances. So that is something that people should definitely be aware of. It's always best if you need to have a private conversation with somebody and you want to make sure that nobody else can see it, that you use a secure messaging platform. We we mentioned Signal several times. Threema is another one. iMessage. Well, you could even use iMessage, yeah. iMessage is certainly a lot better than SMS and certainly a lot better than Facebook Messenger and a lot of these other uh, platforms, Twitter DMs currently as well. So, all right, can I transition into Mastodon now? You can go ahead and do your segue. (laughs) All right, so let's move on from talking about Twitter. In fact, a lot of people are moving on from Twitter, apparently, because there's another social network that has been around actually for several years, but didn't really gain much traction at first, that a lot of people are jumping to, at least in the information security community. It seems like a lot of journalists are considering moving there as well. And that is Mastodon. Mastodon is really interesting because it's not run by a company like basically every other social network, right? Generally with social networks, you have one massive company that runs the whole thing. And the way that Mastodon works is it's federated instances. So you have different people who are running their own servers. And then when you join the service, you pick which server you want to, to, or which community you want to be a part of. You could kind of look at it like that. And then now you're connected to the the Fediverse. <laughs> you're part of this federated network, this big social network that includes a bunch of different smaller social networks. You could kind of look at it that way. Yeah, but so this is basically a bunch of guys with servers in their basement running this thing. It's kind of like ham radio, right? It, the, the whole thing sounds kind of icky. And in fact, th- there is a bit of a barrier to entry, right? Because uh, because of having to choose which server you're going to join in order to become part of this social network. It's, it's very uh, – the onboarding process is awkward because of that. I think it's more than awkward. I, I was trying – I ended up signing up to two servers and I don't know how. I was trying to figure it out and I gave up last week because I'll only go there when Twitter is absolutely dead. I can understand that there are some advantages to Mastodon, like not having Elon Musk, but it seems like I I was seeing some comments from people who'd been running servers for years, and now all of a sudden with the influx, they've got to buy new servers. These are just people running their own servers. No one's paying anyone anything, and you can't really trust that to be reliable or secure, can you? Well, there are a couple of official Mastodon instances, so... Mastodon.social is one of them. Mastodon.online is another. Those are the two official ones. And so uh, those, I, I would say, you can probably count on those being relatively reliable because they've been around for a long time and they've got you know backing from people who are donating to the organization that's putting out this open source software. There are a lot of other instances. For example, the the one that I'm on is infosec.exchange. And this is run by an individual who has had to rapidly increase server capacity and he's running this on his own. I think the one thing that I, I want to emphasize is that you do need to be careful about 
which server you're choosing to join because the server operator, whoever is running that server can see your private messages. They know your IP address. They know your email address. So this is something that you should think about carefully. In fact, I have an article that uh, for several days was really one of the most popular on the Mac security blog. We'll link to it in the show notes with a lot more details about Mastodon and how you can protect your identity. Also, one other thought on this, if you are choosing to leave Twitter, make sure that you don't delete your Twitter account, because if you choose to do that, then somebody else could come along and register your username later and impersonate you. And that's not a good thing. I think Twitter blocks it for 30 days or 60 days. But after that, it's like the domains that expire that we talked about recently. Just before we go to the break, Apple just announced that they've launched the new updated iCloud.com website with an all new design. It kind of looks like that stage manager bit with the windows floating around. I don't think previously Apple had updated iCloud.com in like six or eight years. So this looks nice. I, I looked at the beta a couple of weeks ago. Go to iCloud.com and check it out. You may not use it regularly, but there are some settings there that you can't access elsewhere. And it's always good to remember that if you need to use a computer in a library or in someone else's house, you can log into your account on iCloud.com. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about AirDrop. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Indigo Mac Podcast listeners. Indigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, we had a story recently that Apple was restricting one of the features of AirDrop to people in China. Now, if you're not familiar with AirDrop, it's a way to wirelessly send images or files from one Apple device to another. You can send from a Mac to an iPhone, from an iPad to a Mac, whatever. There are three options in AirDrop on your devices. You can turn receiving off altogether so no one can send you anything. You can set it to contacts only so only people in your contacts can send you files. Or you can set it to everyone. Now, we're going to link to Apple's How to Use AirDrop on Your iPhone or iPad article. We're not entirely sure, but I think contacts only is the default. But they explain that if someone's not in your contacts card, you set it to everyone. So anyone can send you something. You don't want to go through the hassle of entering someone's contact if they just want to send you a file. Now, one of the problems with people having their airdrop set to everyone is like this story from early September on CNN. 
The pilot of a Southwest Airlines flight threatened to cancel takeoff after someone on the plane sent a naked photograph to other passengers. So essentially, the person opened their phone, went to airdrop, and looked at all the phones that were set to everyone and sent some nudes to them. Now, Josh, you took a screenshot once when you were in the airport of the number of iPhones available, or could be iPads as well, and it was quite stunning, wasn't it? Yeah, this was a couple months ago when I was on my way back from a conference. I thought, you know, I'm just I'm sitting there in the airport and just bored. And uh, so I opened up one of my phones. I opened up an image and I was curious to see if I went to share an image, what would happen? Like what how many devices would show up as being available? And it varied. It kind of fluctuated as people were like walking around the airport around me. I was just sitting there. And at one point or other, I had at least 16 different devices all show up at the same time. And all different names, I could see the names of the people who's who owned these devices in many cases, uh, because that's how they chose to name their device. So and so's iPhone, for example. And uh, yeah, this is a common thing. I've seen this many times in, in any any kind of public place where there's a lot of people around. I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to see a lot of devices show up as being available to airdrop to. So what Apple is doing is they're limiting the amount of time that you can set your device to everyone to 10 minutes in China, apparently only in China. And according to what we see on 9to5Mac, this is because Chinese iPhones are actually a little bit different. The hardware is different so they can do this. But there is some discussion that Apple may roll this out to other devices next year. Now, frankly, leaving AirDrop on for, for everyone, which means you're receiving from everyone, is dangerous because you could get some sort of malicious file that just a photo just displaying could cause some sort of a problem, not to mention you could get nudes or whatever. The reason they're doing it in China, at least the speculation, is that protesters were using AirDrop to share information among them. Like you're out in a protest with a crowd and you take out your phone and you see a hundred different devices and you send your propaganda to them. I think When we look at it from that point of view to prevent protesters from communicating, well, it sounds like a bad thing. But when we think of it from the security point of view of protecting us from not getting unwanted files because we've forgotten to switch from everyone to contacts, it's really a good thing. My recommendation on this is actually to just turn receiving off. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is uh, when you're using AirDrop, it's something that generally you're doing on purpose, right? You you know that somebody is trying to send you something, and so you can just turn it on when you need it. The other specific reason why I think that this is a good idea to just leave it off all the time unless you're actively using it is that there have been exploits that people have come up with in the past. The other reason why I say that you should probably just leave it off is if if somebody really wants to, they could create a contact with every possible phone number, every 10-digit phone number, for example, if you're in the U.S., and put all of those contacts in their device. And then now you show up as a contact to, to that person. There was a researcher who did something like this about a year and a half ago and was experimenting with this and found that it actually was fairly easy 
to to find phone numbers and email addresses uh, using some variation of of that technique. Whether that's still possible, I'm not exactly sure, but it has been done in the past, and so it's just best to leave AirDrop off when you're not using it. Yeah, Apple says that for someone to be in your contacts, you've either got to have their email address that's attached to their Apple ID or their mobile phone number. So there's only those two possibilities. You don't need both of them. You don't need an address or anything. It's just one of those two. So yes, it's likely, I mean, it's a pretty complicated exploit to be able to go through every one of those billions of phone numbers, but it is possible. It, it, it's just more worrisome that you sh you switch to everyone because you're in a meeting and someone needs to send you a file and you're not going to put everyone in the meeting in your contacts and you switch to everyone and you forget to change it back. And that's probably what happens with most people. Right, exactly. So I, I do think that in general, this is probably a good thing. You don't want to leave it set to everyone by default. And if at least they're going to put it back to contacts only, that's a heck of a lot better than just leaving it as everyone for all eternity. Yeah, I, I will say the airdrop is extremely practical. My partner and I are constantly sending each other photos or web pages or things like that over airdrop. It's easier than putting something into messages. I'm very often sending from one of my devices to another, like I take a screenshot of my iPhone. It takes iCloud 10 minutes to upload it and make it available in photos on my Mac. So I just airdrop it because it's quicker. Uh, and I go in both directions like that. Uh, the only problem with airdrop is if you're sending a lot of files or large files, it can be slow. But for the sort of standard airdrop transfer, it's a brilliant technology. I agree. Yeah. I, I would love for Apple to enhance this though, so that, for example, if you have lockdown mode enabled, it would be nice if it went back to receiving off as the default state, right? After you'd put it to everyone 10 minutes later, if it went to receiving off, that would be much better in my opinion, at, at the very least for people who are very security conscious and people who are using lockdown mode. You know, I had been wondering if there was an equivalent for Android and I just Googled it and there's something called nearby share that seems to work similarly, but it's not going to work between an iPhone and an Android phone, will it? There's not going to be interoperability for something like that. No, just like how Google is trying to push Apple to adopt its RCS messaging standards, that's not going to happen. Okay, one last thing. Do I look any different, Josh? Oh, it looks like you're using a different camera right now on our Zoom call. I'm using my iPhone on our Zoom call. This is called Continuity Camera, and it's a new feature in macOS Ventura that allows you to use an iPhone as a camera. It, it's actually quite clever because we're sitting here in front of our computers and we don't need to move around. But imagine if we're on a Zoom call and you do want to move around and not use the front camera to show someone because the back camera is a much better quality on an iPhone. So Continuity Camera lets you essentially use your camera in any sort of video chat app. It works in FaceTime and Zoom and Skype. I haven't tried it in anything else, but I'm assuming this is a system API and it works in all of these. And there are a couple reasons to do this. One is you want to be able to move around when you're connected to a computer, right? The other is if you have an old Mac with a really bad webcam, it's only recently, in fact, it's only because of COVID that Apple increased the quality of webcams in laptops. And the other advantage is we talked about center stage some time ago where 
where certain iPad models and the new studio display have this thing where if you move, the camera follows you around. Well, continuity camera does that as well. So if you're on a call with multiple people and you want to make sure everyone can be seen, it's a good idea to use continuity camera. Now to do this, you could just hold the camera up, but that gets tired after a while. So you can get this little Belkin device, which is a MagSafe device that snaps onto the back of your iPhone, and this goes on top of your laptop. I'll link to an article on the Intego Mac security blog, how to use your iPhone as a webcam with continuity camera in macOS Ventura, and you'll see how this looks. One of the problems with this is, now this works fine on my MacBook Air, it'll work on a MacBook Pro, but it won't work on my iMac because the iMac is too thick. Now the iMac is an M1 iMac, it's got a good camera, but if you have an old iMac, I believe Belkin and other companies are coming out with different adapters like this for different thicknesses, so you will be able to use them in the future. That seems a little bit awkward, having to have like a almost an adapter to like connect your, your phone to the top of your display. Now, the other option is to get one of these gooseneck devices that you can use to hold on to your iPad or iPhone, and you can put this above your monitor or to the side if you want. One of the cool things about continuity camera, at least cool in practice, is it can look down on your desk and show things like from above. And it's really weird. I've got a screenshot of how it looks in my article. It's not easy to set up. Things are a little bit distorted. It's actually quite clever because they're getting an image from an angle and they're distorting it to make it look like it's not distorted. But I don't really see a lot of use cases for this unless you're... I don't know, a jeweler and you're showing people jewelry or unless you're in an embroidery class and you want to show people how to do something. It doesn't seem like something you're going to be doing often on this sort of video call. Probably not. It, it does feel like a gimmicky feature. It was interesting to see this feature demoed in, in Apple's most recent event. But yeah, I, I, I don't foresee myself using this feature anytime soon. I must say that I've mentioned that I got an electric car in August and the rear camera does something like this. So you've got two parts on the screen in the rear camera. On the left is the bit with the little lines that's looking straight out. And on the right is a view that looks like it's from above the car. So when you shift into reverse, you see the car because it knows what the car looks like. And then as you start moving, the ground starts filling in and it's using the same kind of distortion to make it look like you're watching from above. I must say it's really easy to park a car like that compared to having those lines that you have to drive into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Before we close, big news, Josh has upgraded to Ventura. <laughs> That's right. Apple finally released macOS Ventura 13.0.1 last week. And according to some reports, it does fix the known issues with full disk access not working sometimes with third-party software. So I've gone ahead and upgraded to macOS Ventura, and so far I'm really enjoying it. I have not used the, uh, what, what do you call that new side? Stage manager. Stage manager, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to use it. I got to at least try it out, though. You got to try it out. I'll link to my article in the show notes. I use it all the time. Uh, I think it's great. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. 
Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>